Hello and welcome back to another episode of TWT FM. On the sofa for this show, we have David Waring. Thank you very much for joining us, David. Thanks for having me. Um, so, you've been in and around TWT over the last couple of days. Tell us what you've been up to. So, I'm speaking on a bewildering amount of things. <laughs> I am I'm running a foreign policy school. So I'm a teaching fellow in international relations yeah. and I specialise in British foreign policy, mm. British foreign relations in the Middle East. So I'm running a foreign policy school, two classes, one class tomorrow, uh, Monday at three and another one on Tuesday at 11. Yeah. Um, so that's one main thing I'm doing where I am try just trying to raise people's consciousness about foreign policy, understanding about British, British foreign relations, trying to empower them with some critiques in terms of, you know, the way we talk about Britain's role in the world, the way it's spoken about in, like, the dominant discourse by yeah. politicians and journalists as though Britain's a benign force for good in the world. Yeah. And trying to offer people critiques about that. So I'm doing that foreign policy school. We can talk more about that if you want. Um, Today I organised a session on Britain's relationship with the Middle East and that was a nice little session, mixture of academics and activists, again just trying to help people contextualise British foreign relations in that part of the world. And tomorrow I am doing a couple of Green New Deal things, Policy Lab, um, that Harpreet Paul's running. So yeah, I'm doing a bunch of different stuff. Sounds, yeah. It's quite involved. In yeah, that good variety there. So yeah. I'm interested, when you talk about these foreign policy schools, yeah. um, what sort of formats are you running these sessions in? Are they like panel formats or are they like workshop, round table sort of things? It's like, it's just me, so no pressure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, so it's kind of, it's similar to what I, you know, so I teach at uni and just the standard format is lecture and seminar. Yeah. 45 minutes just talking at people and then they talk amongst themselves in the seminar with a bit of direction. And I'm kind of doing that with the 90 minute slot, but what I'm trying to do is break it up a little bit. So I split the lecture into three parts. I'll deliver a 15 minute lecture and then break people up into little groups, get them talking amongst themselves for five minutes about what I've just been talking about, bring it back for a whole group discussion for five minutes and then go around that again and we build on, you know, we build our way through the session in that in that way, and hopefully it's a bit more dynamic for people. So, yeah. what's what sort of topics have you been addressing so far? So, there's two classes. The one tomorrow is me trying to trying to contextualise British foreign relations in the context of empire, yeah. right? Trying to get people to understand and, and explore the ways in which Britain's role in the world today and Britain's domestic prosperity and a lot of aspects of the dominant political ideology that we see is a product of these historical processes like Britain was an imperial power a colonial power for centuries up until like 50 years ago yeah. you know, up until living memory um, peak of the British Empire 100 years ago more my grandparents were alive for that you know, yeah. where Britain controlled like 20% of the world's population and that, all that history formed the country that we are today not yeah. just our place in the world as a big military power a big financial power but also, like, just domestically, Britain's prosperity grew out of imperial violence and imperial exploitation. There's a big theme, perhaps we can talk about this, in terms of the international aspect of TWT this yeah. year, which is so much better than it's been in previous years. Yeah. No disrespect to people who came before, but it's so much better this time. And part of it is about breaking down that dividing line yeah. between the international and the domestic and showing how the two are interlinked together. So that first session I'm doing tomorrow... Is, is about that, how Britain and its role in the world and British capitalism all grew out of empire. And then um, 
the second session I'm doing, second foreign policy school session I'm doing on Tuesday is talking about the role of violence in British foreign relations. Like violence is a really intrinsic part mm. of how the British state has related to the world for a yep. long time. Like empire obviously is an inherently a violent system. But even since the days of empire, Britain's used violence, military violence, but also the violence of local allies, you know, in different parts of the world, the Saudis, perhaps the Egyptian regime as well, selling them arms, training their security forces. That's our violence too, because yeah. we help them do it. So, and in that class, the Tuesday class, um, I'm using Yemen as a case study. Yeah. It's the world's biggest humanitarian crisis. Main cause is Saudi bombing. And those planes don't fly without British and American support. I don't yeah. think people fully grasp the extent to which Britain enables that bombing campaign, like mm. sustains it, you know. So I'm trying to raise a bit of awareness about that and also getting people to think about the implications of what that means. Like if Britain's doing this in Yemen, helping the Saudis commit mass murder, commit atrocities and create a world... A, world-leading humanitarian catastrophe. If Britain's capable of playing an active role helping the Saudis to do that, let's take that and think more generally about the implications for the nature of Britain's role in the world and why, the ways we talk about Britain's role in the world. Yeah. You know? um, so yeah, those are the kind of themes I'm trying to bring out. No, that sounds like really interesting stuff and I myself studied history for my undergraduate degree yeah. um, and obviously at A-level and you really realise when you just take those courses firstly how limited the options are in terms mm, of mm. Britain centric but also European centric yeah. um, and also just the, the bias in the way in which they, they, they sell the stories as they go along which you only yeah. realise by reading and coming to events like this at TWT where you yeah. hear experts uh, from all over the world coming up with their own size of the story and you learn and yeah. you get a more rounded picture to yeah. really fill in that education which is significantly lacking yeah. um, in history at the moment uh, mm. particularly um, in the education system in this country so I guess I'd like to ask you to point people towards which sessions you think are particularly good um, this year yeah. in terms of internationalism which speakers are you really impressed with that we've managed to secure yeah I mean the whole internationalism stream that TWT's got this year is so important yeah. and the way in which they've drawn on academics and activists to bring that knowledge that you often don't get like in a lot of units like the curriculum is heavily Eurocentric yeah. and really conformist mm. and I've taught in some of these places it's incredibly frustrating you can see the students frustrated as well yeah. you know and um, so we're trying to bring that um, I've been involved in the internationalism stream generally. We, we're trying to bring that kind of that, that, that kind of material. Um, what are good sessions? I mean, there's a good one tomorrow at 10:30, which is run by Lloyd Russell Mould of mm. MPs from Brighton. Brighton. Yeah. MP. Yep. That's about Yemen as well, but it's about the arms trade specifically, and what can we learn about Brit the British arms trade from the Yemen case, and what can we do in terms of shifting Britain away from being a military, away from being a world leading arms dealer mm. and get those skills and resources and technology into like, you know, renewable technology or something like that, mm. so demilitarising our economy. That's a really important session. You've got people like Anna Stavrianakis, who's a, um, who's a professor at, um, at Sussex, specialists on, on arms sales. She's going to be there. Loki's on that session as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, mix, good mixture of academics and activists and that. Um, I think the Green New Deal stuff I'm doing tomorrow, there's one session at 11 and one at 1, yeah. um, 
One's more panelly, one's a policy lab. You've got that guy, Jason Hickle, there, a few different people, Assad Roman from War and Want. Really interesting people talking about, you know, biggest issue facing humanity, mm. this looming catastrophe that we're running out of time to deal with. So that, those are going to be good ones as well, I think. And I think people should look out for, people should look out for the anti-racist sessions as well, you know. Um, like, racism, it's really important to stress racism isn't just like the ignorance of the masses or a few isolated extremists on the fringes. Racism is absolutely core to the dominant ideology yeah. in Britain, you know, and that's been true, and that comes from the elites. You know, it's an imperial legacy and it's still there with us today. It's playing a mobilising role in certain elements of the Brexit vote. It's playing a mobilising role in how our class relations are reconfigured. Um, yeah, so it's, it, that's really important. So there's, there's quite a few good anti-racist um, yeah. sessions and they're kind of developing a much more sophisticated account of how racism works yep. mm. compared to the traditional old left view of racism Well which says, well, it's just kind of people's economic concerns being misdirected, which is just facile, that's not yeah. how it works at all. So there's a lot of stuff that this year's TWT is kind of correcting for mm. and yep. helping to deepen, make more sophisticated our understanding of these international issues. Yeah, because I'm interested because a lot of people listening to this or watching this might have come to TWT last year yeah. and been to see people like Jean-Luc Mélenchon or yeah. Katia Kipling uh, talk about a uh, four-day working week or we had a couple of people from Syriza and they'd say, well, that was a very internationalist event. Mm. We had lots of great people. What do you think makes this one specifically different? You just think we're building on these topics better than we did last year? Yeah, I think it's... Um, th th there seems to be more internationalist sessions. I think they're... the. It's more about, it's not just the quantity, although it's definitely that, but it's also the quality. Yeah. It seems to me that being involved in the planning of it, um, a lot of people of colour involved, a lot of people with their roots in the global south yeah. involved, and bringing that kind of, it's, just, it's a very different mentality. Even, yeah. even on the left, there's plenty of Eurocentricism, you yeah. know, um, and having that, those, that ethos of solidarity, and um, you know things like that I think are really really important people with global south background kind of understand these things in a more mm. instinctive way yeah. um, one thing that's really important again I don't want to criticise people who've come before but as far as I'm aware TWT has never done a, a full session on Yemen mm. and it's the world's worst humanitarian crisis yeah. and yep. Britain's been involved in it for four years What's and the finally yeah. this time we've actually got two dedicated sessions Lord Russell Moore's session tomorrow mine on Tuesday that's a really important correction in terms of what's gone before, you know. Um, yeah. And just to like spell out some of the facts on the scale mm. of the sort of tragedy that's unfolding in Yemen at the moment. Yeah. Um, Do you want me to read off yeah, some stuff? Please, yeah, please. Yeah. yeah. So like, as I say, this war just started in like, well, the Saudi intervention starts in March 2015. So it's four and a half years, half a decade of this. And the so like you're talking about hundred thousand estimated hundred thousand deaths from violence. That's it's probably an underestimate. Hundred thousand mm -hmm. deaths from violence. Most of them are caused by Saudi coalition bombing. Um, you're talking about two thousand five hundred people dead from cholera. The reason they're dead from cholera is because the public infrastructure has been destroyed by the Saudis yep. from the start of the war. Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, the UN, just documenting atrocity after atrocity: bombing schools, mm. bombing hospitals, bombing refugee camps. Um, double tap strikes where you hit a civilian target, you wait for the ambulances mm. to come and you hit it again. 
pattern of indiscriminate violence yep. and as I say the British have been sustaining this whole thing so it's so important that we talk about this so and why, really are the, why are the Saudis doing this why, why are the Saudis in Yemen and on top of that I'd also like to ask like, more explicitly when you, you make the connection now between yeah. the Saudis and the British government to, yeah. to expand on that so. right yeah, yeah so I mean the Saudis are concerned that the government that was there before has been toppled by, by a group that's linked to Iran and by a group that however deep these links to Iran are, which are actually kind of small, or they're growing now, is, is independent, is anti-Saudi. I mean, the Houthis and the Saudis haven't gone on, got on for a long, long time. Um, so, yeah, it's an important piece of strategic real estate, yeah, man. Um, and in terms of British support, this is the thing I really want to ram home, and if people want to explore this more with me, come to my session at 3 o'clock on Tuesday. Big tent. Um, I mean, the Saudis don't have their own military. I can't stress that's en that enough. They buy this stuff from us and the Americans. And what we provide is not only the planes, but under these contracts, ongoing supply of munitions, munitions that fit with the planes in technical terms, right? You mm. can't just use any old bombs and missiles for the Rus that the Russians and the Chinese might provide. You have to buy it from us, the fits mm. of the planes that we sold you. The planes, the bombs, the missiles, the spare parts, the components, the training for the pilots, the training jets that the pilots need so they can learn how to fly the actual planes, yep. the maintenance that keeps those planes in the sky. Um, if Britain stops supplying this support, mm. the planes can't fly and the bombing doesn't happen and the humanitarian catastrophe you know, goes away. Yep. Um, so we sustain that war together with the Americans. So we can't talk about it as, oh, it's Saudi violence, Saudi yeah, yeah. atrocities. It's British violence, yep. American yeah. violence and that it, they're carrying out. You know? It may be obvious to you, but many people listening will be like, why, why is this happening? What's the, what's the motivating reason for Britain and the US to be sustaining this? Do you know what? I think what's one of the things that's tragic about all this is I don't think the British and the Americans are even that invested in this war. And I think... I think this is slightly damning of the left, actually, or at least British civil society more generally. I think they're kind of going along with a Saudi priority. Like, I spoke to a guy at the Foreign Office, sort of off the record a little while ago. It's on the record now, mate, sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to name him. But he was, he was basically saying, we're not that enthusiastic about all this, but they keep telling us, oh, it'll be over soon, it'll be over soon, and we kind of go along well, with it. Well, the war's going very badly for the Saudis in, like, military terms. Ba it? Very badly. Yeah. But they thought it'd be easy. Yep. They thought they'd be done in, like, in six months. I mean, every yep. counterinsurgency campaign thinks it's going to be done quickly and it yeah. turns into a quagmire, you know. Yeah. Then it's got to go through the history of that. But like, I think the British have gone, gone along with it to a large extent. I think the Americans have gone along with it to a large extent. Trump's more keen because he hates Iran. Mm. But Obama went along with it. And the reason they've been able to go along with it, and I can't stress this enough, is there's no political cost. Or there's right. not much because British civil society and American civil society, when I talk about civil society, who really is supposed to do this stuff? It's our job as yeah. a left. Mm. Yeah. We've just not done enough. I mean, where are the... Um, where were the big demonstrations? Mm. You know, all through the 2000s, I used to go on massive anti-Iraq war demonstrations. Yeah. You know, yeah. where you'd see the crowd all the way down the street. You turn around, you see all, all the way back up the street, hundreds of thousands of people. None of that for Yemen. I mean, this is as bad as Iraq. And why do, you, why do you think that is? Why, what do you oh, think's changed? Or do you think it's just something about the public mindset towards Yemen in particular? It's less public-facing in terms of the media coverage? Yeah, I mean, it's a mixture of all kinds of things. And I don't want to criticise people too much because everyone, we're, we're, all of us on the left are working hard on really important stuff. Like yeah. Austerity is important. Uh, Brexit's important. Climate change is even more important than Yemen. So I don't want to like, criticise people too much. Um, I think there's a bunch of reasons. Like maybe sometimes if we don't understand an issue well 
and I feel like a lot of it, a lot of awareness has been raised on Gaza and on Israel and Palestine more generally. So people feel equipped to talk about that, yeah. right? You know? And there was a lot of media attention on Iraq, so people felt equipped to talk about that. The media have reported on Iraq, on, on Yemen, but they've not given it the prominence. Yeah. Mm. Commentators, apart from people like Owen, um, have not given it the attention, you know, whereas when it's someone else carrying out these atrocities, all these liberal commentators suddenly start paying attention, yep. or let's yeah, go yeah. in and carry out a humanitarian event, intervention. These liberals have had nothing to say about it. They're just not interested, because it's, it's our allies doing it with our help. So there's no nice story to tell about riding to the rescue. So the media haven't given it attention, so people are less aware of it. The media haven't explained it well, so people mm. are less aware of it. This point I make about the fact that we sustain that bombing, mm. there's not many people making that point. You know, there's yeah, a few yeah. of us who are specialists on it, mm. yep. fellow academics, activists, but the wider point isn't made sufficiently by public voices. You know, if people understood the extent to which mm. the Saudis are dependent on us, then they'd wake up and see that it's our okay. violence. So what would um, you, what would you, what would you <coughs> want to see from? A Labour government, not just in suspending arms deals yeah. with, you know, the Saudis and whoever else might be uh, in on this, but just in terms of like altering the the thinking and the imagination of the British public, or or putting more emphasis yeah. on covering things like this in the media. What would you want to see from the Labour Party if, well, now and if they go into government? I'd like to see it raised more by Labour. In I think Emily Thornberry does really well on it I don't think she's terrific on Israel-Palestine at all but I think she's good on this um, she sees you know, it's a big part of her brief and she takes it seriously I think Corbyn could raise it, raise it more at PMQs yeah. he does raise it his predecessors wouldn't have done if Brown was still there if Blair was still there they'd be supporting this whole thing I mean mm. they sold these jets after all mm -hmm. you know? yeah. so at least we've got someone who's against it but he could talk about it more yeah. you know I think there's a there's a misunderstanding that the public only care about their own narrow self-interest. Yeah. Even on the left, we think the public only care about bread and butter issues. But look, that's not human nature. We've got empathy. Yeah. We've yeah, got the ability to feel like solidarity with others who we've never met. That's part of yeah. who we are as a but left. You, you so talk appealing about, to that. You, know? you talk about the difference between now and, and Iraq. Mm. Do you think that the sort of you know Brexit xenophobic rhetoric has contributed in any way to this sort of negligence towards um, Yemen? Or do you think it's a, it's a completely separate issue? Like, Britain's always been racist. Do you know what I mean? That's always been there. Um, I don't know. I think Brexit, Brexit has taken up a lot of bandwidth. Yeah, yeah. I'll I say that. More yeah. Yeah. And, like, uh, again, I don't want to criticise people because it does matter. Like, if there's a no deal and there's food shortages and medicine shortages, like, some people, like, really rely on certain types of, of course, medicine. Yeah. So I understand why people are preoccupied about mm. that. Um, but Yemen's more important. Mm. Yeah. Like, the British have helped. Yeah, yeah. Like the Saudis kill loads of people, mm. and like no one's died from Brexit yet, apart from Joe Cox, you know. Yeah. So like, yeah, Brexit matters a lot. Yemen matters more, mm. and we can talk about lots of different things that yeah, matter a course. lot. But we do have to kind of get our priorities right, yeah. you know. Um, and as soon as people understand that this is British violence, I think it will start to click for them. Yeah, yeah. But you know, my I see my role as someone who's an expert on this is getting that point out and ramming home as much yeah, as I can. Yeah. And someone like this, TWT, it's a great opportunity for me to do that kind of mm. work. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, climate change. You've obviously mentioned the arms trade yeah. and colonialism yeah. as well. Yeah. And to sort of tie those three things up, uh, yeah. I heard John McDonald uh, last night, I think it was, um, give his throw his weight behind the idea that there are some form of reparations due from mm. Britain mm. 
to the mm. clon uh, colonized peoples of the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. But he also added on to that, that that reparations could come in the form of sort of technology transfer. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, you've been talking about the Green New Deal, been part of that there. Mm. Is there a way that we can use, you know, these engineers, these arms companies, mm, you yeah. know, because there, there is that sort of declinist narrative about Britain, that Britain is no longer significant in the world and that's a bit yeah. of a sort of cop-out really that'd be great it's wouldn't it but it's not true <laughs> yeah I mean, it'd be yeah great, given the damage britain has done over centuries it'd be great if we were no longer significant yeah unfortunately we are uh -huh. like permanent seat on the security council veto power on the security yeah. council nuclear weapons sixth largest economy world's leading financial center some of the world's biggest corporations and the worst corporations bp shell british american yeah. tobacco um glencore yeah, yeah, all the, like yeah. The ability to project power on an intercontinental basis and unfortunately actually doing that invading iraq all the rest of it this network of alliances um including with people like trump and bin salman and, um of, of saudi arabia britain's still significant like 97 mm. percent of countries in the world can't say that so we're still a significant country in terms of unfortunately and that means that foreign policy is a really big responsibility for the left and mm -hmm. a really big responsibility for labor if labor gets in it's sitting in the cockpit of that system of yeah, power yeah, and yeah. violence. Yeah. And recent, like Labour governments past just carried on operating that system, including yeah. the ones we idolise, like Attlee government. Yep. So there's a big responsibility there. Now, in terms of the thing you're talking about, I think one thing we can do, which would be terrific, is we've got to demilitarise. You know, we've got to disarm this state. Mm -hmm. You know, if if a Labour government comes in. Sooner or later, the state's going to go back to the Conservatives. Sooner or later. So you've got to take that moment to disarm this state, you know? Because it's not about defence. We mm -hmm. keep talking about it in terms of defence. It's never been about defence. Half the time it's about aggression um, or maintaining systems of violence. One of the ways we can do that is transitioning from an arms industry to an industry, a manufacturing industry that produces... You know, and this is high-technology stuff, like renewable technology. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And... You know, energy poor parts of the world, parts of the world where they're trying to get their economies going and they're dependent on fossil fuels, because that's how it's been up till now. And the West is saying to them, you've got to cut your fossil fuel emissions. And they're like, well, you develop with fossil fuels. Now you're telling us you, you used up all the capacity of the Earth's climate and they yeah, yeah. Us we can't do it. We should be providing some of that technology to them and saying, look, right, by way of recompense, yeah. you know, here's a way that you can pursue your economic goals. Yeah. And um, and do it in a sustainable way. Yeah. I was talking to an engineering graduate in the session I just did on British foreign relations in the Middle East. She was saying, as an engineering graduate in university, all the career options you're given, or a huge amount of them, yeah. are to the arms industry. Yeah. And like, yeah, we don't, yeah. we don't yeah. want to do it. And there are other things we can do. It happened with yeah. my own kid. He's seven right. years old. He won an engineering prize at right. school, this little competition thing. Yeah. I was six at the time. And he was so pleased and everything, and then they were, and it was going to be the ceremony. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> not yet, well, never, never. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, uh, well, I'm, I'm hoping that by the time he gets a job, BAE Systems be, will yeah. not exist yeah. in, you know, in its current form. Um, but yeah, he turned up uh, to the award ceremony, yeah. yeah, sponsored by the arms industry. There was, yeah, a literal, like, general... Uh, there to present awards. So, so how easy do you think it is 
um, to to deal with this sort of integration. Like that's such a great example of how integrated this stuff is yeah. into our society. Normalized, yeah. How yeah. easy do you think it is to repurpose that sort of infrastructure yeah. for the positive things that you're talking about? And you know, you say conservatives are going to come back in at some point. You know, you've got the fixed term parliament act. You could only be in. You're going to be in most likely for five years. Mm. Could you in the, those five years? How much of an impact could you make? Um. So, I mean, research has been done on this. Campaign Against Arms Trade. Um, and by the way, if people want to get active on Yemen, Campaign Against yes. Arms Trade, they're the guys. Definitely get involved give with it them. a plug to the camera. For get, sure. get involved with them. And um, they have done research on the transition from arms to renewables. Like, mm. Do the skills, can the skills be transferred mm. um, in terms of the places where the work's done? We're talking about people's lives and people's jobs. It is important. It's not important, more important than Yemeni lives, but it is important, people's jobs. Um, in terms of where those skills are, where those jobs are, could you get those people to switch over to producing green tech? And in terms of the supply chains yeah. around those factories, could it all be shifted over? Does it yeah. work in geographical terms? And apparently yeah. it does. Um, or at least as research has suggested it does. Um, I think Labour's looking at de defence diversification. They're looking into that. You know, there are pressures on the leadership from all sorts of places yeah. and sometimes we've got to be more than just cheerleaders we've got to be outwiders yep. sometimes we've got to be putting pressure Proposing, on them and pushing yeah. them to yeah, go yeah. further you know that 2017 manifesto fantastic document it's a tragedy we're losing the guy who wrote it Andrew yeah. Fisher yeah one of the weak points about it and it's, I don't blame him for it at all was the defense side I mean calling it defense is not defense but like it, it was very conservative we're going to spend two percent of GDP on the military all that kind of stuff I mean, we, we've really got to push politically yeah. against some of the unions, perhaps, who are very one-eyed about this sort of thing, just like the other of climate change, against the old right of the party. Um, we've got to be making these arguments, making yeah. them in public, you know, getting on the front foot about, about militarism and foreign relations and not being defensive about it and seeing it as a, as a weakness of the movement, yeah. it's not. And that's right. the role academics and researchers and just general people coming to events like the world transformed have to play in proposing and pushing forward new ideas and that's yeah, why we're yeah. looking forward to hearing so many more ideas that are going to be pushed at the different panels over the next couple of days um so i guess we we should probably wrap up that conversation there thank you so much for okay. joining us on the twt fm sofa um thank you anything you need to say before we finish uh, that one Tim? well just a sort of forward plug that uh, i know uh, david you're gonna be giving a lecture to camera aren't you uh, so watch out for that on oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, the world transforms streams if people want to learn in more depth <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, about about some of these things some of these yeah. grim things and uh, some of the solutions yeah. to it as well and the way that the world could be better uh, thank you very much for uh, coming on no problem David. Guys, thank you thank you, thank you.